Well, for uh, those of you who are visiting, it's our privilege to host you here tonight at the Lakes Church. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and it's our privilege as a church to host Mike Pilavachi to speak tonight. Um, he was here visiting Cairns and, and spoke in our church in 2018. Uh, COVID thwarted the 2020 plans and it's wonderful to have him here in 2022. Uh, Travelling with a couple of interns, uh, Ben A and Benjamin, who are here with him as well. Uh, and so for those of you who haven't met Mike before or haven't heard about him, I just want to share a few things about Mike to help you get to know him, to introduce him, and then I'll just hand over the microphone and, and let him share with us tonight. Um, Mike uh, very recently made a, a, a run, an attempt to become the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Launched an online campaign. But just like Boris Johnson's second attempt at becoming Prime Minister, narrowly missed out. Uh, which really the loss is the uh, English people who missed out on his wise and humorous leadership. But anyway, so he's stuck still being the co-pastor of Soul Survivor Watford, uh, which he does pretty well. Um, Mike also founded the Soul Survivor movement and through festivals and uh, and all sorts of other things for many, many years have uh, raised up young people to love God and to serve him uh, all over the world. Um, and Mike has also authored and co-authored a whole bunch of books. Some of them are better than others. Um, Everyday Supernatural is excellent, Wastelands is excellent, but uh, all of Mike's books you can get from your favourite booksellers online. Um, we couldn't get any to uh, to resell to you tonight in time, but um, just something to think about as you head home tonight, that he's a great author as well. But would you please uh, give a warm Ken's welcome to Mike Pilavachi. Come on up, great to have you here. Is is that how you're going to introduce me? It's the best I could do. It's the best you could do. It, yeah. it wasn't very good. I know. I know. Um, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Right. No, no, no. Come here. Come here. Oh, okay. All right. The man who is about to speak to you. <coughs> the man who's about to speak to you. Don't say, don't say it in such a high voice. <laughs> is, 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 is regarded as the best looking preacher as the second best looking preacher sorry <laughs> the, the best looking preacher in the western hemisphere in the western hemisphere he is suave he is suave he is sophisticated he is, sophisticated. He is an intellectual giant he is an intellectual giant he is also a fashion icon <laughs> He is also a fashion icon to Australia. Would you please welcome... Would you please welcome... Mike, Mike Pilavachi. That was... Now, that was going too far. You just... That's so embarrassing. I mean, that was just over the top. That was... I can't believe you said those things about me. Even if they were true. Um... Well, it's, it is a joy to be here. I just need to say one other thing, though, that um, I don't mean to be critical. Whoa, is that... Kind of, I don't mean to be critical, but I'm going to be. Um, I can't believe that you would start a meeting. In England, we would never think of doing that without doing health and safety notices. No, because it's important. You want people to be healthy and safe. And you're a pastor. You, do you not care about your congregation? So I just, I just need to say, um, 
this is really important for your health and safety okay it has been decided and this is for you for your sake that no chocolate is allowed in this room during this evening if you have brought chocolate in here tonight for your health and safety we require that you bring it to me now It was worth a try. Sometimes that works. <laughs> and I hit the jackpot. But do none of you bring chocolate to church? What's wrong with you? Um, what? Yeah, I, it melts. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Well, it is a, seriously, it is a joy to be here and uh, to be with you guys here. And also those that are watching in, uh, on live stream. And I know that some of you are watching from Mackay. Is it Mackay? There's a place called Mackay in England. That's the surname. <laughs> Where is Mackay? South. Oh, between here. Oh, that's a long way. Oh. So if you're watching from Mackay, pay attention. And um, I just want to look at passages of scripture and try and unpack it. Uh, tonight and um, uh, the prophet Ezekiel is is one of the craziest guys in the Bible um, uh, and uh, he was obviously artistic and a lot of his stuff that he received was in the form of visions and dreams and stuff like that and uh, one of his visions that he received I'm going to read out to you it's uh, in Ezekiel chapter 47 and it's the vision of the river now, just to say, um, water in the Bible is one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit. So, what this is speaking about, it's uh, speaking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Ezekiel says. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me round, to the, out, round the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there 
and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eniglaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, there's three Anglicans here. (laughs) Did I hear a murmur of thanks be to God? Just as like, where are you? Where are you? There, my dear brothers and sisters, we're here on a mission. Um, No, I'm joking. If you want to flow, if you want to flow um, in the river of God's spirit, there's two questions, certainly that I would want to ask. And the first one is, where is the river coming from? And the second one, where is the river going? If we want to flow in the river, if we want to go where the river takes us, they're two important questions. Where is its source and where is its destination? Where does the river of God's spirit come from? This scripture says that he saw the river begin in the, in the temple, south of the altar. Another translation is underneath the altar. The river of God's spirit flows from underneath the altar in the temple. What is the altar in the temple? It is the place of sacrifice. What is our place of sacrifice? The cross of Jesus Christ. The river of God's spirit comes from one source, the cross of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, they put a spear in his side and outflowed blood to speak of the forgiveness of sins and water to speak of the outpouring of the spirit. There can be no Pentecost without Calvary. The spirit comes from the cross and we divide the two at our peril. Uh, I remember when I first became a Christian, um, somebody asked me, um, have, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit or do you only have Jesus? And even as a very young Christian, I thought there's something not right about that question. Have you got the Holy Spirit or do you only have Jesus? I know what he meant. I know what, and I believe in filling of the Spirit, but there are many fillings, but the source is one Jesus. The source is the cross of Christ. The source is always him. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have everything in Christ. We just haven't opened all the presents yet. We just haven't opened. They've all been given, but we haven't received them all in their fullness. So the spirit comes from the cross of Jesus. And the reason it's important to know that is he always glorifies his source. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is he reveals the Father and the Son. Before anything else, he reveals, he loves, he loves to reveal the Father and the Son. So that's where the river comes from. Where is the river going? It's going to the Arabah, where it empties into the Dead Sea. 
and where the river flows there will be swarms of living creatures because the river makes the salt water fresh and where the river flows everything will live what is the destination of the river of God's spirit it is not the church that's the mistake we have made so many times it is not the church it is not in here it is out there and he comes to the church en route to the world he comes to the church to sweep us out to the world and in too many revivals in too many moves of the spirit the spirit the holy spirit's come to us in the church and we've stayed in the church and we haven't gone with the spirit out into the world and uh, you know i'm old enough i remember the toronto blessing anyone remember that and there were loads of wonderful things about that. I still go to the Toronto church when it's not um, COVID once a year to preach there. I love them. I love what, what's come out of there. And I, this isn't their fault. This is, I believe, our fault as leaders. What happened when God poured out his spirit in those days is we, we, we stayed in the church and we had one meeting after another to receive. And we did nothing but receive. And then after a year or so, we started asking, what happened to the Holy Spirit? Why isn't he moving? And why, why aren't we experiencing him? And the answer is, he came into the church to, that we would flow with him out into a broken and hurting world. And he went out there and we stayed here. May that never happen again. May we understand that the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. He is a missionary God. He comes to bring life where there is death. And he comes to his church that he would revive his church, that we, his church, would bring his life, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness, his tenderness, his goodness, his holiness to a broken and hurting world that needs him, that needs him. So that's his source and that's his destination. Here's the hard bit. Here's the bit that where the challenge comes to us. Where are we in this story? As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. Now, you know, you would know here, better than, and I love it here, by the way. Oh, I could live here. I could why Lord why why did you why why did you put me in Watford why you could have put me here but anyway that's that's a discussion the Lord and I are having regularly um, and and you'll know that on a really hot day ankle deep water can be quite refreshing can't it and I remember years ago, um, uh, my my relatives all came to visit, and um, my sister's kids came, and we put the paddling pool out. They were little kids, and we filled the paddling pool with water, and they were all splashing around in the water. But I'm an adult, and I'm a church leader, and I have dignity, <laughs> and I wasn't going to do that. So I was kind of just sitting there being adult. As they all played on, on, you know, I remember it was the, it was a hot summer's day, and it was that day in the year in England. And, uh, um, and I would just watch them, and then they all went in, and, um, after a while I looked round, 
and there was no one there. And then I took my shoes and socks off and I rolled up my trousers and I went paddling. And it really was quite refreshing. It's quite refreshing to paddle in the ankle depth of the Holy Spirit. And then another thousand cubits and the water was knee deep. Well, when it's knee deep, you can give each other a good splash and it can be good fun and you can really play and you can fall down a bit and and all of that stuff and 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 spark a bit and, and, and everything. And that can be quite fun. The hardest place to be is when the water's waist deep. And when it's waist deep, you know it's you know you go into a swimming pool and it's better to dive in, isn't it? Rather than going slowly. And the worst place is when it's here and it's like you're neither in nor out and it's like oh. you know that one. And it's really uncomfortable. And it's, for goodness sakes, either get in or get out. And most of us, were in that uncomfortable place. But the place where the Lord wants us is where the river is over our heads. And then we go where the river takes us because at that point, we have to take our feet off the ground. And we're not very good at taking our feet off the bottom because that's the key moment because that's when we give control over to him and it's not we take him where we want it's he takes us where he wants and that's how he likes it that's how he likes it the holy spirit i believe has a message that he's had for a few years to leaders in his church i want my church back i want control of my church back Would you give me control of my church? And it's my church, and I want to lead my church. And that's not a a negative on leaders. That's that's a challenge for all of us in our lives. And, and, And for those of us that are control freaks... And certainly as a church leader, I am by, by definition a control freak. You know, and, and there's good reason for that sometimes. I mean, I don't know about what it's like with your worship leaders, but... Are they? How's on? I mean, you know, you give them 25 minutes and on 24 and a half minutes, they close their eyes and start a new song. Have you, have you noticed that? And they start a new song, close their eyes, and they, they keep their eyes closed so they can't see you. And you know what they're doing. You know just what they're doing. It's like, why? I told you 25 minutes, 24 and a half minutes, you close your eyes and you start. And then, and then, and then they do the song to death. And then it's like, uh, and, and, and then you know you're going to get it because the service is going to go longer and then the children's team are going to go on strike and the parents are going to complain to you, not the flipping worship pastor. Oh no, they don't complain to that one. They, they say to you, well, you know, lunch is burnt. I mean, it's all burnt now because you went on too long. So there's good reasons why some of us are control freaks. But you know what? God doesn't want that. I am um, I was a late developer in all sorts of ways and one of the ways was I didn't learn to swim until I was um until I was uh thirteen years old and it was my very, very final swimming lesson at school. And my um I'm sixty four and this shows you how it's on my heart. My PE teacher, do you call them PE teachers? Was a guy called Mr. Ridgin. And Mr. Ridgin was rigid, Ridgin. 
And uh, he was tough. And um, it was the final, final swimming lesson. And he said to me, Pilavachi, everyone else in the class has passed their... Do you do yards or meters? Meters. Has passed their... Mm, it was, we'll call it meters, but it was 10 yards, which is a lot shorter. Their, their 10 meters swimming certificate, except you. And he said, this is your last chance. And he blew his whistle. And I couldn't... I pretended... I went like this, but he could see. I just couldn't take both feet off the bottom because I was sure that I would sink. I was sure it wouldn't hold me, and I tried. And after a while, the look of disappointment and almost disgust on his face, he blew his whistle and he said, okay, everyone out, everyone out. And I thought, this is, I'll never get another chance. And as everyone left the swimming pool, I don't know how I did it, but I thought, this is, I'm desperate, I've got to I've got to have one more go and I somehow somehow I managed to get both feet off the bottom and I did this doggy paddle and I doggy paddled round in a circle and I was so excited I shouted Mr Ridgin come back I can do it and he came back reluctantly and he said okay he blew his whistle and then I doggy paddled and I took my feet off the bottom and I went round in a circle after a while he blew his whistle and he said, Pilavachi, you have passed your 10-meter swimming certificate. Thank you. Now, honesty compels me, if I'm really honest, to say, if I did 10 meters, it certainly was not in a straight line. I think he broke the habit of a lifetime and he was kind and nice and generous. But do you know what my problem was? I was afraid to take both feet off the bottom. And so often in, in our lives, we tell God what we're doing and we ask him to bless it. And I discovered it's so much more fun to find out what he's doing and joining in with what he's doing and blessing what he's doing. It's so much easier that way. It's so much easier. And you know, the same thing happened to me years later. A few years ago, I was invited to Israel to speak at a couple of conferences. And uh, my friend and colleague Andy Croft came with me. And um, we had a couple of days off in between the two conferences. And our hosts took us to all the sites. We went to the old city of Jerusalem. It was wonderful. We went to the place where David and Goliath fought. And we saw the one hill where the Philistines were, another one where the people of Israel were. And then we saw the dead um, brook, the dead the river that was dry in the middle where they fought. And, and I remember I went and bought, I, I bought, I, I went and picked up five stones and I took them home just in case, <laughs> you know, and um, anyway, and, um, and, and we went everywhere. We went to the old um, uh, Emmaus road that was covered up and then they took us to the Dead Sea. And as we were going to the Dead Sea, they said, you know, it's amazing. This, it's so salty. There's so many minerals that you absolutely float. You can read a book sitting on the Dead Sea. It's amazing. And then when we got there, it was everyone, they were all excited. And, um, and he said, come on, let's go. And I said, no, you go. 
Um, I'll, I'll sit here and watch. I don't feel like it. And Andy was like, what are you talking about? It's the Dead Sea. You might never get another opportunity to go to the Dead Sea. I said, no, 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 I'll watch you. I'll watch you. That'll be just as much fun. And then my hosts, they were like, what's wrong with you? You're here. Get in. And it took them ages to get me to admit that deep inside, I was abs- I persuaded myself that I would be the first human being in history that would sink in the Dead Sea because of my um, body mass index. You know, and, and they was like, don't be stupid, you won't. And they persuaded me, and it was amazing. I Even I floated. But there's something, there's something about us that doesn't like not being in control. And he's the Lord. He's the Lord. He wants to be in control. And that means sometimes us doing what he says when we don't understand. Following his lead when we don't know where it's going to end. And that's what we see in scripture all the time. All the time. The stories of the Bible. Have you, have you read about the disciples? They were always one step behind. Have you noticed that? What about, oh, what about Moses? Bless his little cotton socks. Moses. Why are you, is he called Moses or something? No. Oh. Okay. Um, I said, what about Moses? And he laughed at him. It's, uh, and, and you know, uh, there he is. There he is at the burning bush. And, and there's Moses, and the Lord says, I want you to go back to Egypt and lead my people out of their captivity. And Moses, he has a moan, and he has all these objections. And the, his first objection is, who am I that I should go? Who am I? And, and, and the Lord, do you know what the Lord says? The Lord says, I will go with you. Do you see what happens? He doesn't answer his question. If it was me, I'd have said, well, thank you, Lord, for that sentiment. That's very nice. That's not actually the answer to my question. Let me see if I can rephrase the question for you. It goes along the lines of, who am I that I should go? And usually when I ask that of my friends before something, it's I want them to say, oh, you're not so bad, Mike. But the Lord doesn't answer Moses' question because he's asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, who am I, he should have been saying, who are you? And the Lord is saying, I'll go with you. That's all you need to know. That's the first part of the answer. The second one's very interesting. And this will be the sign that I have sent you. And when I first read that, I thought, that's all I need. If I get a sign, I'll be all right. Do you know what the sign was? After you've been back to Egypt, confronted Pharaoh, led the people through the Red Sea, you will be back with them on this mountain and you will all worship me back here. It's like, what? What? What's the point of a sign after I've done it? I want the sign before. Tell me before. What's the point once I've done it? That's how it works. That's how it works again and again and again. And you know, for Moses, when when he was talking to God at the burning bush, it was a bush that was burning but didn't burn up. And God spoke from the burning bush on Mount Horeb. Then Moses goes back to Egypt, confronts Pharaoh in faith without the sign being fulfilled, leads people through the Red Sea and ends up back on Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai. And guess what? In the same place where God met Moses in the fire that didn't burn the bush up, 
he meets the people of Israel and comes down in fire but doesn't burn them up. And he speaks through the fire and he gives them the commandments. And at that point, I bet Moses is like, oh, that's it. That's it. You were on the bush. You did, it didn't burn up. The fire came. The fire is here, the same place. You haven't burned us up. You spoke from the bush and you've spoken again. Now I get it. So if this is a walk of faith, so often it's afterwards we get it, after we've been obedient, after we've done it. And it works in different ways for all of us. And for me, one of the main ways, because of my job, because of what I do, is I'll be honest with you, I had to get to the place. I've For years, I've longed to see what's in the book happen in my life. And I've been really, you know, like I, I read and I just got tired of, of, you know, reading about the miraculous stuff in the Bible. Reading about it, um, singing about it, praying about it, having discussion groups about it, doing everything except doing it. And I was like, this can't be right. This can't have been given so that we sing about it, talk about it read it, pray about it, do everything but do it. And I had to come to the place where I'm 64 now, where I decided that my longing to see God meet with people was greater than my fear of failure. And when you cross that river, when you cross that sea, everything changes. Because I was like, what's the worst that can happen if I step out without being sure? I look a bit silly. Well, I've looked silly most of my life. It doesn't faze me anymore. You know, I survive. I survive. What if I get it wrong? I've discovered if I get it wrong, nobody dies. But if it's Jesus, someone's life can be changed. Someone's life and my longing. If there's one thing we need in the church today, it's we need to to be equipped to set people free. There are people that are dying of loneliness. There are people that are dying of brokenness. This isn't a game. This isn't to entertain us. This is to break the power of the enemy. This is to set people free that they might walk in freedom. It's so important. It's so necessary today. And and what I've discovered as well, the other thing that stopped me is I had an idea a false idea that that any ministry like this was reserved for a few who stood on platforms and who seemed to hear God so clearly that they had no doubts that it was like absolutely they were they were six feet above contradiction and they were like they usually with white suits and they could take big offerings and I was like I I'm not wearing a white suit it makes me look even bigger you know, and, uh, and I tried taking big offerings. It never worked for me. And, and, and then I realized, if it did, <laughs> um, and then I realized that the whole ministry of Jesus, hear this folks, is for the whole church of Jesus. It's for all of us. When it comes to the ministry of Jesus, God says everybody can play. The only rule is play nicely and share the toys. 
Play nicely and share the toys. Be nice. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. And the whole Christian celebrity culture, in whichever way we do it, in the Catholic tradition, and I love the Catholic tradition, it can be a veneration of priests and and the Pope and cardinals and saints. In the evangelical tradition, and I love the evangelical tradition, it's the great Bible teacher, the anointed Bible teacher, or the anointed evangelist. In the charismatic Pentecostal tradition, and I am a charismatic Pentecostal Anglican. In, in our, amen, amen. Come on, Archbishop um, of Canterbury. And, and, uh, and, and in, 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 in our tradition, it's the anointed prophet or the anointed healing minister. And there is a place for that. But you know, the anointing rests on the whole church. It's his flipping anointing. Why would I want an anointing when I can share in his anointing? Why would I want a ministry when I can get involved in his ministry? And the whole church can do it. Do we all do it the same? No. Do we all have the same gifts? No. Is it... Does, does everyone we pray for get healed, set free, delivered? No. Does everyone we preach the gospel to become a Christian? No. That doesn't mean we stop preaching the gospel. It's now and not yet. When he returns, when he returns, everything will be put right. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we're obedient. And every time we're obedient, we see the kingdom advancing. So basically, I decided I'd go for it. And I had to make a couple of agreements with the Lord. Um, the, it came through like this. The guy that was very helpful to me and mentored me, um, I saw when he prayed, lots of things happened. And I was a bit cross. And I said to this guy, his name was Blaine Cook, and I said to Blaine, um, um, why is it more people get meet Jesus when you pray than when I pray? And he said, do you want the honest answer? And I thought, uh-oh. And I said, yes. And he said, reason number one, I have a high expectation that God will use me. You don't. He was right. Number two, he says, I made an agreement that I would say everything he gave me to say. And I would do everything he gave me to do. And I would not censor it. And I would not make it more, more palatable to people. And I realized what I'd been doing. I'd been, I'd been holding things back. And ever since, I've tried to do that. And we've tried to encourage our church to do that. And do we get it all right? No, we don't. I have got some brilliant... Well, no, I'm not going to tell you now. I, brilliant disasters. But I'll just tell you... Some, I want to tell you some good stories because I want to look good. And so you buy my book. <laughs> Because um, I need the royalties, um, and uh, and uh, um, and just a couple of my favourite ones that I'll, I'll take to heaven with me. Uh, a few years ago, just a few years ago, before we stopped doing our festivals, uh, it was uh, um, we, we were just starting to pray for young people, and there are about eight thousand kids in the tent in the big top, and the and this when I say the Lord spoke to me. I always used to think, this is where I wasted too many years, that it would be, hear ye, hear ye, God calling Mike, are you receiving me, tablet of stone on its way down, duck. 
and it would be flashes of lightning and peals of thunder and and it was like it never happened like that to me so I thought God doesn't speak and I didn't realize he speaks in a gentle whisper it's a still small voice it's not in the earthquake wind and fire be still and know that I am God be still be still and and you know I when I realized he whispered I would I would still my heart to listen I would start paying attention and I remember he he would say something and I I remember I would say I would say Lord can you speak up I I can't quite hear and do you know what he said he said no and then he said if you can't hear come closer could you speak up? I still can't hear. No. Come closer. He kept telling me to come closer until I could feel his breath on my neck. Because God is into intimacy. And we miss finding him in intimacy, in the mundane, in the normal, because we're always looking for the spectacular. So when I say he spoke to me, the way it works with me, often, it's it's not, it's, it's kind of, it's like, Oh, I've just had a thought. That's a funny thought. Why would I think that thought? Could that be you, Lord? Or could it be indigestion? And in my case, quite often, it is indigestion. But what I used to do is if I wasn't sure if it was me or the Lord, I wouldn't say it in case it was me. And do you know what I realized after a while? I never said anything because I was never sure. I was never, ever sure, and I never find out. So now what I do, if I'm not sure if it's me or the Lord, I say it just in case it's Jesus. And if it's not Jesus, if they, that's okay. Nobody dies. Well, no one has yet. But if it is, someone's life can be changed. Someone's life can be changed. And it's taking my feet off the bottom. So there was this, in this meeting, and this thought came into my head, and it was like the Lord speaking, there's someone here who's been mocking everything that's been happening at this camp. And he's been teasing his friends and saying, this is nonsense, this is hype, um, God doesn't exist. And he's just prayed to me just now for the first time in his heart and said, God, if what they say about you is true and you really do exist, can you speak to me now? And then... I felt the Lord say to me, and his name is Brian. And I can't tell you how much I wanted to say all except the last bit. How much, because I thought 8,000 people, there's a good chance somebody in 8,000 people is in that position. Do you see how it works? And, and Brian narrows it down rather substantially. But I'd made this promise and I could have kicked myself to God that I'll say it all, not, not some of it. So I said, I think there's someone here, I could be wrong, but um, you've been mocking. You're an atheist, your friends brought you here, you've been mocking everything that's going on, you've been saying God doesn't exist, but you've just prayed for the first time in your heart. No one else knows that you did, and you said, God, if you're really there, then speak to me so that I know if this is true. And... Your name is Brian. Where are you, Brian? Why don't you come forward? To my utter amazement, I have to say, immediately this 15-year-old boy came forward sobbing. 
he was sobbing. And his friends followed him and they were crying. And that night, they led Brian to the Lord and he met Jesus Christ for himself. And guys, this is the bit I love the most. They told me that the next day, get this, they told me that the next day, Brian was walking around the campsite and he was going up to perfect strangers and he was saying to them, he knows my name. He knows my name. What a way to come to know Jesus. Huh? What a flipping way to come to know Jesus. And if I'd, I didn't, I met his friends, but I never met Brian. If I'd met with him, I, I, know, I know what I would have said. And I'm, I'm telling you because I can't tell him. You know, I would have said, of course he knows your name. Because he's got a good memory. And he remembers everyone's name. But if God ever did have a senior moment, which I don't think theologically he will, but if he did, he cheats. So if even if he did forget your name, he would look it up. Do you know where he would look? Here. Because your name, Brian, is written on the palm of his hand where the nail marks are. That's where your name is written. And do you know, I was like, good grief. That was you, Lord. That was, I got the sign afterwards. You see, it wouldn't come before. It would not come before. Another one I told the guys earlier. I'm just going to say it again. And this was, this was um, in our church, we've been doing this for years. All right? And when you, you do it for years, you, the more you do it, the more happens. It's like anything. You, the more you grow in it. And um, six weeks ago, um, uh, six months ago, this guy turned up at church, young guy, um, youngish, a, a sh- he's a chef, and he turned up and he went up to my colleague, Andy, and he said to him, I turned up, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, uh, but a friend, some friends of mine told me that you were in a good church, and so I saw you on live stream and I thought I'd come and check you out to see if you're as, um, as nice in real life as you make out you are. So Andy didn't know how to answer that. He couldn't say, well, we're even nicer. Um, so the guy came, and we didn't see him again until six weeks ago. He turned up again. And Andy saw him just before the service. And he went up to him and said hello. And the guy said to him, I may as well tell you, just so that you know, I'm about to commit suicide. At the end of this meeting, I'm going to kill myself. My life is terrible. I've got nothing to live for. I've got no one. I've got mental health issues. I'm struggling with depression. I've been to the place. I know exactly where I'm going to do it and how I'm going to do it. But I thought I'd come and sit with human beings one last time before I end it. Andy came up to me literally as the meeting was starting and said, this is what he's just said. What do we do? Who can we get to pray for him? And I was like, that's a heavy one. I don't know. Let's think about it during the service. At the end of the service, what we often do is we ask if there's anyone who's part of our church who believes that God's given them a a prophetic word, a word of knowledge, we call it, for anyone who might not ask for prayer to speak into their lives, to say it. And we asked, and from the far side, she was sitting near the back, a lady in our church, she's been in our church for quite a few years, Becca Garden, um, she said, and she doesn't do this very often, she said, from halfway through this meeting, This thought won't leave me, so I may as well say it. 
And I think the Lord might be saying, there is someone here, you've decided to commit suicide at the end of this meeting. And the Lord says to you, don't. We in this church are here for you. And God is here for you. Honestly, when that, I looked at Andy and it was like, and we couldn't say anything. He was amazed. We got Becca and her husband Hugo to pray for him with another couple in our church, Stephen Nicola. And Nicola's one of the pastors. Stephen Nicola took him home for lunch, spent the afternoon with him. A team from our church spent the next day with him. This guy is now part of our church family. He's part of our church family. And what it amazed him that there was a word that spoke into him. But what amazed him even more, this is very interesting, what amazed him even more was that people loved him and spent time with him and would, would do that. That was a lesson to me. That's the thing that is most amazing. That's the thing that is most amazing. We're running out of time. I, I could tell you lots more stories that would make me look good. But can I tell you a couple of the other side because <laughs> they're fun There's, um, when I started doing this um, I was in Auckland, New Zealand at a church called St Paul's Auckland and I was stepping out with these words and I had some words that there was responses and then I had a spectacular one and, um, and I said um, I think there's someone here you've got a heart for North Korea and you want to go as a missionary to North Korea and you're praying that the doors would open and um, if, that, if you're here, could you come forward? We'd love to get folk to pray for you. And this young lady came forward for prayer. And I thought, I am getting good at this. I really am. This is pretty flipping good. And I thought, I'm going to put this in my book. <laughs> Revival and my part in it, Mike Pilovarchi. <laughs> I had the title. And, um, and anyway, they prayed for it. And after a while... The meeting kind of was finished, so I walked back to where I was staying. And as I got to the entrance where I was staying, my colleague, he was racing. He stopped me before I went in. And he said, I had to, he was panting, he said, I had to tell you about the girl that responded to the word for North Korea. I said, tell me the details, because I want to put it in a book. Tell me the details. And he said, well, the thing is, he said, she's French. And she doesn't speak much English. And... She came forward for prayer for her career. <laughs> and she couldn't understand why everyone was wanting to send her to Asia. I was gutted. I can't tell you, I was so gutted. I was so, and the thing that upset me the most is that my so-called colleague sprinted. He was so excited to tell me how spectacularly wrong I was that he couldn't wait till the next morning. Here's one more. When we started doing this, we, we, you know, we read in, you know, that it happened on the streets and everything. And uh, Andy and I, we, we're joint senior pastors of the church until January when... I'm demoted, but that's another story. Um, and uh, and we decided that we needed to um, we need to we couldn't ask others to do stuff that we didn't do ourselves. So we decided we go to the centre of Watford and we sat on a bench uh, at the entrance to the shopping mall, and um, we sat on the bench and we prayed that the Lord would send His Spirit on the shoppers, 
And then we sat there watching. I don't know what we thought would happen, but we were looking to see if the Holy Spirit came on someone that was going walking past doing their shopping. And then, you know, what were we going to do? We were going to go and lay hands on them in the middle of... But no, no, nothing... Ha- you know, we looked and we, and we were there ages. And Andy broke. He's young and inexperienced and impatient. And after, I don't know, after we were waiting for 45 minutes, Andy was like, we can't sit here all day. And he said, look, there's an old man standing looking through, you know, looking at a shop window. I'm going to go and talk to him. And I said, okay, you go. I will stay here and cover you in prayer. And Andy went up and I saw him. I saw him. He, he kind of walked up and he started to hesitate. And then he stood there pretending to look in the shop window. And then he looked at the old man. And then I saw him say something. And the old man reacted angrily and stepped away. And then Andy turned around and looked at me. You know like a dog looks at its master for encouragement. And I was like... And Andy went in for the second attempt. And he went up to this man and he said something else to him. And then I heard this man say, tell him to F off. And he stormed off. And then Andy came back and I said, what happened? And he said... Well, I went and stood next to him, and I thought, how can I start? So I thought, I, I, I just said, uh, this is an interesting shop window. And the guy's, you know, he shouted at me, and he stepped away, and I thought, I'll have another go. And then Andy said to him, do you come here often? <laughs> I was so in hysterics, I was almost wetting myself. I was, but then it was my turn. And I just felt that the Lord said to me that I would come across a a woman who was a bit short and who was wearing a green coat and who walked with a limp and I was to pray for her for her limp. And I started walking around the shopping mall looking for a short lady with a green coat and a limp. Do you have any idea how hard they are to find? I was there... I was there for two hours. I was there for two hours. Eventually, I found myself in Primark, which is an English store that sells cheap clothes. And I was in the ladies' fashion area, and I just wanted to go home. I was exhausted. I was like, I've had enough. And then I saw a lady who was quite short, and I thought there was a bit of a limp, and she had a coat that in the right light could be described as green. But I decided I'm going to go for this. So I went up to her and I can't believe now I did it. I said, excuse me, but I'm really not weird. What a way. Now, now when you say that, you know what? They'll think he's weird. I said, "Um, but Jesus told me to look for a short lady with a green coat and a limp and to pray for her. And I found you. She told me to F off very loudly and stormed off. That's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. What's the point of saying that? Here's the point. The point is this. In order to get to Brian, you have to go via North Korea and ladies with limps and green coats. That's how it works. That's how it flipping works. Okay? We've got L plates on, all right? We're all learners. But the, 
But the end result, the end result is people meet Jesus and people are set free. And people are set free. Can I tell you one last story to end? I've got to end with one that's a bit better. Um, Because otherwise you're not going to have any trust in what's to follow. Um, Not that you're going to have a lot of trust anyway. But anyway, um, this one's a crazy one. And I'm going to tell you exactly as it happened. Some years ago, we were doing a camp for 20-somethings. Uh, we called it Momentum. And, um, and as we were doing the, leading the meeting, these thoughts came into my head. Um, there's someone here who's having an affair with a pastor in their church. And, um, and I want to free them. I want to set them free. I want them to, to turn and repent. And they're having an affair with a pastor in their church. And I was like, Lord, I can't believe I said this. I'm not saying that. Because our rules are, does it strengthen, encourage, and comfort? And this is a negative word. I don't know if you realize that. But this is a negative word. And I'm not saying that. And I mean, you know, what if there isn't someone who's having an affair with a pastor in their church? All right? What, how does that look? What if there is someone who's having an affair with a pastor? How would you want me to say that? There's someone here, you're having an affair with a pastor in your church. Would you like to come forward now? I mean, how am I supposed to do that? Pastorally, this is all wrong. How am I supposed to do that? So I said, so Lord, um, I think I'll give that one a miss. And of course, you can't do that with the Lord. It was, I mean, it was, I couldn't concentrate. I knew I was being disobedient. So in the end, it was like, I think could be wrong here but I think there's someone here and it's the Lord's mercy and oh I know and the Lord said to me it's my mercy not my judgment it's my mercy not my judgment and for a few moments I felt his compassion and I just wanted to weep I felt his compassion and I said it's his mercy not his judgment I think there's someone you've come here you're having an affair with the pastor of your church and you can't get out of it and you don't know how to And the Lord wants you to repent and he wants to rescue you and he wants to turn your life around. And I said, if that's you, come at any time to the side of the stage. We're here. My colleague Ali uh, is here. She'd love to talk to you. Come at any time during the meeting or at the end or go to the chat room and tell someone there. At the end of the meeting, this is absolutely true. This young lady, 21 years old, She went up to Ali and she was sobbing. She said, that's me. She said, I've been having an affair with the youth pastor of our church. He's married with two children. And he keeps telling me, I keep saying to him, this is wrong. We've got to stop. And he keeps saying to me, "It's how can it be wrong? We care for each other. You can't stop. We can't stop now. We can't stop now. And I promise you, this is what she said. She said, I nearly didn't come to this meeting. I came that close to not coming. At the last minute, I decided to come. And as I was driving here, she said, I actually prayed, Lord, I can't tell anyone about this. I'm too ashamed. I'm too embarrassed. I can't tell anyone about this. If you want me out of this relationship, 
you're going to have to tell someone on the stage about me. I came that close to not saying anything. What if I got it wrong? What if no one responded? Who cares? But someone's, she, she was out of the relationship. Uh, two older folk in my church, they kept in touch with her for weeks. They prayed with her. She ended the relationship. Her life was turned around. And I came back. You know what? They needed this in the early church. We need it now. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be from a stage. Do you know it can be in a conversation? You can have a conversation across the fence in the garden, at the school gate, in the office. And you can say, Lord, would you guide my conversation? Would you give me the right words to say? And you'll be surprised. They'll say, why did you say that? Why do you ask? Well, that's amazing because you don't know this, but that's where I'm at. Oh, really? Well, why don't we talk about that? Why don't we pray about that? I could be wrong, but what if? There's a church that we're very good friends with, uh, not that far from us. They did something amazing as a church. They did. Ha- this is my last thing. I'm landing. I, I, prom- I, I lied earlier when I said that, but I'm coming in to land and we're not going to take off again. We're, we're almost at the gate. And no, sometimes I abort landings and <laughs> drives my church mad. Um, and then we go round. And <laughs> Anyway, um, there's a church not far from us. They decided a few years ago that they were going to attempt a thousand acts of courage in the year. Of courage, not of success. And what they did is they had a website. And whenever anyone stepped out, whatever the result, they would put it their story on the website and they would cheer it and every Sunday they would have people giving testimonies of their act of courage and it would be things like this a lady would get up and say I was at the bus stop and I noticed this other lady um, with some children and she looked unhappy and then I thought I think she's crying so I said Lord give me courage to go up to her so I went up to her and I said are you okay and she said not really life's pretty tough right now And then I said, I'm a Christian. Could I pray for you? And she said, oh, that's very kind of you to ask, but I'm not into that. No, thanks. And then the bus came, and she got on the bus and left. And that was it. And then the whole church stood and clapped and cheered the act of courage. The act of courage. They celebrated stepping out. They celebrated someone taking their feet off the bottom. And do you know what? Once, once you have a few of those, the river takes you. The river takes you. And you find yourself, and you're always surprised. I wasted too much of my life thinking that God would come in a package, and he comes in relationship. It's, it's a friendship. Lord, you're saying that. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. We're at the gate, and what, what is it? Um, um, unlock the doors and cross-check, they say. Is it, what is it they say? What? Disarm doors and cross-check. Right, we've even cross-checked. 
So what we're going to do now is... I've no idea. (laughs) (laughs) And um, we're just going to wait for the Lord. And if he does more... the Lord say whoa that, that was the Lord saying shut up now you're, you're done he does that sometimes um, if, if he does more we stay here longer if he does less we go home early um, is there cake after or anything there isn't oh oh your dad I told him I want cake after the meeting did he listen no um, so we're just going to wait, and I just want to just don't, don't get religious on me here, okay? Right? We're going to relax, and I'm just, all I'm going to do is I'm going to just say, pray, Lord, just move among us, send your spirit. Spirit's already here. Fill us. Do whatever you want, and then we're just going to wait. We're not going to have the Holy Spirit keyboard playing in the background. We're not going to dim the lights. I'm not going to talk in a hushed tone to set the atmosphere. We're just going to wait and. The, whatever he does, the, the pay's the same. <laughs> um, I assume I'm getting an honorarium. Oh, good. And um, the pay's the pay's the same. So we just relax, okay? And um, but I know he loves his church. He loves us, and he always wants to meet with us. So here's how not to respond. That the evangelical religious way of responding is: Oh, we're going to pray. Let's assume the shampoo position and then the charismatic Pentecostal way is oh he's, he's going to invite the spirit oh <laughs> let's relax in the paddock take a chill pill we're just going to wait and father we love you we don't take ourselves seriously but we take you seriously and you're a wonderful saviour you're a you're a perfect father you're an amazing God and Lord now father in the name of Jesus would you pour out your spirit afresh would you heal us where we need healing will you equip us and empower us when we need equipping and empowering would you breathe on us Lord Jesus breathe on us we wait for you now I'll just wait for him. No one needs to pray out loud or start a song or anything like that. The more we wait, the more he does. Thank you, Lord. Pray more of your presence. More of your presence.
your gentle whisper. could be really wrong here but I think it's just just in the last few moments it's like a first wave of his presence and some of you you become aware in a significant way that God's presence is resting on you for some of you it'll be a deep deep peace like an overwhelming sense of just like you almost want to soak in him for us there might be a uh, just overwhelmed by love it's different for different people. And if that's you, and only if it's you, just as a way of responding and saying, yes, Lord, I recognize that you're meeting with me and I ask for more. I'm just going to ask you just very quietly where you are just to stand. And we may get those near you just to lay a hand on your shoulder, not to counsel you, not to be heavy, but just this is for the church to bless the church. And so if you're sensing gosh I'm aware in a significant way of the presence of the Lord just just quietly stand where you are don't be afraid don't be afraid that's it that's it